Hello and welcome back to Draycott Diaries. Today you are going to listen to a conversation I had with Helen Dance very recently about her work as a pillar in the community. She is involved in so many things. One of them is a charity set up specifically to help people in the village who have financial need. The wonderful thing about Draycott Diaries is I really get to the bottom of, well, basically issues that are to do with the village. So I hope you enjoy this. You'll pick us up midway through our conversation. And also in the background, uh, please be aware of squeaking and that that is not Helen, nor is it I. It is the two very lively parrots that habit with Helen in her gorgeous house. So I hope you enjoy it. trust I see it everywhere I know people call card in the village I see it on the parish news so can you tell me a little bit more about the the history is it called the card trust what is the full title well the full title is the charity of John and Joseph card Uh, but, but people call it the Draycott charity or the card trust and names like that are, are just local names. But on the Charity Commission, it's actually registered as the charity of John and Joseph Card. And there were a couple of brothers who farmed in this area. Now, nobody seems to know where they came from. Cyril Wills does, has done a lot of history of the charity. And what he cannot find out is where either of them came from. But they each married local girls. And they farmed in this area. In what sort of period, Helen? What sort of years are we talking about here? We're talking about the 18th century, in the 1700s. Now, the eldest one, John, had six children. And he died, but all his children had died before him. His wife was not allowed to inherit because women didn't inherit in those days. So he left his land to Draycott Village. And he left his money to his brother, Joseph. That was in 1724. Four years later, his brother, Joseph, died in exactly the same sort of circumstances. All his children had died before him. And he left his land and money to Draycott. Why it was Draycott, nobody seems to know. But it was specifically for the hamlet of Draycott. And the money was left and the land was left. And obviously over the years, it's accrued in value and size and so on. So currently, the charity is worth nearly half a million pounds. Much of that is the the value of the land. Um, And we can sell land if we want to, but preferably you want to keep it and hang on to it. Um, And then the rest of the money was invested and currently it's all in stocks and shares. And so it's been it's been going continuously since 1724. Wow. Can I just reconfirm that both brothers both had six children and both lots of brothers lost their children before they they met their time? Absolutely. That's tragic. Absolutely. Yeah. It's tragic, but not untypical for the times, is it? You know, you talk about the 1600s. People didn't live very long. You know, life on the land was extremely hard. Uh, you know, it was all hand labour. 
Uh, there was nothing. There was no Were machinery. Were they farmers no. in Draycott? I mean, they gave their land and the money to Draycott. But you say that was quite surprising. Where were they? Where did they both live? I, I have ab we've absolutely no idea. I've got a copy of the, both their wills. It doesn't say anything about where they lived. But they're both buried in Cheddar Churchyard. But the, none of the land is actually in Draycott and Rodney Stoke Parish. Farmers always buy fields when they can get them. So they, were, they don't often have a farm, which is completely the farmhouse, completely surrounded by their land. They will buy a field here and a field there. And there were fields scattered right away across the moor from Burnham, Edith Mead, Mark Moor, Allerton Moor, right the way across. So we, we had originally in, in the early 1800s fields scattered right the way across the Somerset levels. Some of those have been sold and the money invested and some are still there. And the charity still has one tenant farmer who is who's currently renting all the land and that we have. And how long has that tenant farmer been there? I mean, have they had other fam members before them? Oh, we've had other tenants. We've had other tenants on other pieces of land. But this particular tenant has been on this, this piece, these pieces of land since 1911. So it was his great grandfather started farming. And the current tenant's daughter is still farming it now. I know that you're one of the trustees of this. So how does it work? No, no, no. There are 12 trustees, but I am the clerk. I became clerk in 1992. The solicitor who was the clerk was retiring. And the chairman and the, and the solicitor... Somebody must have told them I might be interested. I had no idea about the charity. And they came and asked me if I'd act as clerk. And I've been so doing this it fund since. then, Helen, what in the village terms? What, what it's I mean, first of all, what an amazing philanthropic gesture of the two brothers and how interesting that it was given to Draycott with no particular connection. But coming into the here and now, what is this fund used for? Who can apply for it? Is it just for the village community? Just Draycott? Is it Rodney Stoke as well? Could you tell us a little bit more about the, um, the ins and outs of that? It's specifically for the hamlet of Draycott. Now, obviously, the trustees have a certain amount of flexibility. There is a clause in the scheme which allows for us to have flexibility because the hamlet of Draycott in 1724 was completely different from the size of Draycott now. And originally, the money in the will, it says that the money shall be doled out. So it's often called the dole. And if you think back a few years, I mean, people who got their money from the DWP called it the dole, didn't they? Yeah. Their unemployment benefit. And it was, but it was doled out to what was called the second poor. Now, the people who were poorest in the early, late 17th century and, and early 18th century were the people who were totally and completely at the bottom of the pile. And if they were that poor, they would be put into the workhouse. So the second poor were the people who were just above that level. Because if you went into the workhouse, at least you would get fed and clothed. But the, the next poorest people might be struggling in rented properties, really, really on their beam ends. So the money went to the second poor. 
Um, and it went to the second poor who were over the age of sort of what we would call pension age now. So it was, it was generally for the older people. But they also had a part of the charity that was for need, hardship or distress. And that could have just been a one-off payment and people would have to go and talk to the trustees and put their case forward. That went on for quite a long time. And then gradually as schooling became important, the trustees decided that some money should be put aside for schooling. And that then became an offshoot and it was called the Card Educational Foundation. So now we've got two charities, all separate name, separate number, and both registered with the Charity Commission when that started. And that provided money to help some children go and learn to read and write. The next stage was the, the vicar of Rodney Stoke, who died in was 1856, was ah. called the Reverend Cobley. Now, the Reverend Cobley left money to the charity. So this bit was called the Cobley Trust. And he left money because he was really, really worried about the health of the children in the parish, because a lot of them were working in the lead mines. And children, there are a lot of uh, children buried in Cheddar Church who are between the ages of six and ten. And they were dying from lead poisoning and so on. So he left money to buy the Draycott Recreation Field. And he also left money for children to be taught religious education. So he left money to the church and he left money to the school. So we've now got a, quite a complicated thing. So we could give money to all these different aspects. And we can give out pensions to old people. We can give out money for need, hardship, distress, one-off payment. We can give money for religious education. And we can give money for anybody in education, whether it's from a, a creche, strawberry tots, preschool, secondary school, university, mature students. We've got all that flexibility. But it was getting so complicated that about five years ago, we decided to amalgamate it all into one charity. So we go under the name of John and okay. Joseph Card. I just wanted yeah. to get back on something, because obviously I don't have uh, the guaranteed historical reference, but I was led to believe once by an expert that I spoke to that some children who were working in the lead mines up, um, you know, up on the top near Rober and stuff, who were, were actually in... in workhouses, uh, maybe even children's homes in Bristol and were being shipped out here into the Memdip to, to work in the lead mines up on the hills. Do you Have you heard this story as well? Do you believe this is possibly the case? I've heard the story, but I, I don't know anything about that. And, well, I've got records going in my minutes book. I've got records going back to 1900, but I haven't got anything pre that. And I... I think it's quite likely that that would have happened, but I don't think it bears any relation to this no, particular absolutely. charity. Well, coming back to the charity, Helen, who, I mean, in this day and age, on this Sunday morning, anybody in the village who may be experiencing some challenges and would like to apply to the trust, what, what's the process, Helen? Well, we have an annual general meeting in November. And we discuss all the applications for grants generally then, because we've, we always base the grants on the income from the previous year. So what we do, I advertise in the newsletter 
um, then people apply to me. We have a fairly basic, very simple form. We don't want to go into vast details about their backgrounds, but we need some basic information because we ha the charity commission needs to know that we've distributed the money according to need. So anybody who lives in the village can apply, but we have to assess need before we give them a grant. So we will advertise for people who, particularly education and pensions, people who want a pension. Also, during the year, we, we keep on telling people that you can apply at any time if you are in need. And I'm just going to do the newsletter this week, and I'm going to put an advert in because at the moment, because of the coronavirus, I'm quite sure there are people in the village who will have need. And so we're going to advertise again to remind them that they can apply for a grant to help them while they are in need. Obviously, it's completely confidential. And that's really important because we're a small village and quite a lot of the trustees can be, are related to quite a lot of the other villages. And we have to be absolutely confidential. And the people who are applying for grants have to know that they have complete trust in the trustees. As but well this as brings the, me you know. neatly on to the next area. Let's talk about the parish news at the moment in, in connection to COVID, because obviously um, we all look forward to it falling into our letterboxes once a month. That's not been happening recently. I'll let you tell us why, but I believe it's something to do with the printing. So where are we with that? You're, I believe you're editor of it. I mean, are we going to be getting it back in paper form soon? If not, where can people find it online? Uh, yes, the, the newsletter's been going now for about, um, I don't know, 18 or 19 years. And it's really from the parish council. So it, it's quite limited. Uh, we keep it to one sheet of A4. It comes out every two months just after the parish council meeting. So it's guided by those dates. And the parish council meeting is coming up this next week. So I'm in the process of collecting information for the next newsletter. We had to miss the last one because we couldn't get it printed. The printers had closed down the day before we took we were due to take it in. So we've missed in, in 18 years, we've only missed one. I edit, sort it all out. I send it on to somebody else who then sets it out so it looks presentable. That goes off to a third person who takes it to the printer. When it comes back, he delivers it in two bundles, one bundle to Rodney Stoke, because it's the parish council newsletter, so it's the whole, it's not just Draycott. One letter to Rodney Stoke, one bundle to somebody in Draycott, and then they, they divide it up into smaller bundles. And then we have deliverers, and it's delivered to every house, every single property in the parish. If you're in the parish, every How every many property do you print then, Helen? We print uh, the 625 properties in the, in the parish. So it's 625 properties. Every property gets one. And there's all, we always print a few extras, uh, which the parish, council, uh, yeah, the parish clerk um, sends out to the press and various other people who need to have the similar information. And it's a wonderful which document. Them. But we don't take adverts. Well, it's fantastic because it has all the ca calendar dates, doesn't it, of everything that's going on. Uh, how can people, I mean, I know it's about to go back into print, but for those who kind of prefer to do things through their computer, how would they be able to see it online? Well, we've, we've only recently done it online because, mainly because of the, the, the COVID outbreak. 
I asked the parish clerk to put her copy online because there's a Rodney Stoke Parish Council website and she puts everything relating to the parish council online. So you, if, you, if you go use your computer, you will find it through the parish council website. I also asked somebody else to put it onto Facebook uh, because I, f I find now that when it first came out, everybody read it. Everybody in the village would say, oh, I saw it in the newsletter. Now, I find a lot of the younger people are asking each other, do you know about this? And I'm thinking, well, it's in the newsletter, but they're yeah. looking at Facebook. And with they're not respect, looking at the Helen, newsletter. for people like myself who... Um you know, have visual needs. I can't, I can't read the paper ones. So I yes. rely on seeing it online because I have screen readers and various implements that can read to it to me here. Well, that's fantastic. Well, I think, I think everybody's got a, a really good hang on that. And on behalf of the community, Helen, I mean, a huge thank you to you as the editor. And I know you have a massive volunteer team behind you, not only for the parish news, but also for the card trust. And we as a community be, will be at a sad loss without everybody so can I just before we move on say thank you to everybody involved I'm sure they'd all be grateful because you know there are, there are 12 trustees there's a whole team on the charity there are other people who support the charity by giving their help voluntarily and the, the newsletter it's all done by volunteers and it's just a fantastic it is. village and, uh, as you know I've sung to the roof the community shop and and also there's a you know the group who've done that through Covid yes. and then of course there's another group of fantastic volunteers who are taking out medication to people uh, you know I get I, I kind of well up a bit really when I talk about our community I'm so proud and it's a great honour to be part of it but before I become an emotional mush let's just move on tell me a little bit <laughs> a little bit more about your work with the ca some people have issues on a let's face it a wider scale that might need oh i don't know examples you know help with debt or help with housing or help with whatever might need to go to a bigger organization and, and potentially outside the community so i'm imagining that the ca would be very much the place to go can you tell me a little bit more helen about its availability to people and how people can use it well, yes, it's, it used to be called Sydney Advice Bureau. The, the Bureau word became obsolete, really. So it's, every citizen's advice is a separate charity, and we're all affiliated to the central citizen's advice sort of umbrella company. Now, that is really important because citizen's advice does two things. It collects statistics so that it's a very powerful body uh, and they lobby Parliament and they lobby the government and they will say, you know, universal credit is not working and we, this is our evidence. So we collect evidence which then goes to the central citizen's advice. The other part of it is doing voluntary work and advising people and the advice is free, it's confidential and it's impartial and we are not judgmental. So anybody can come in and tell us anything. We would only disclose if it was a criminal offence and in, t in cases where it might be something like child abuse, which is really very serious and there would be an obligation, the obligation is greater than the confidentiality. And that is very, very unusual. I've never had a case of that nature. So it's, it's a very, very rare occurrence. 
There's an office in all the towns in Mendip. So we're looking at the, the five towns of Mendip. The offices are run by a supervisor. The rest of us are all volunteers. And we just take everybody as they come. They come into Wells Town Hall, Monday, Wednesday and Friday mornings. They troop in and they're in the waiting room and the waiting room is full by 10 o'clock. It's never ending. What we're doing now, of course, is that everything's gone online. I used to do Mondays and Fridays in Wells Town Hall. I'm now doing Monday, Wednesday and Friday online. And if you look at the Citizens Advice website, you can contact us by email, by telephone. Normally, it would be a drop-in service. And if you phone up, you will get exactly the same service as we would offer face-to-face. You get what is called a drop-in, a triage. You'd be seen in order. You'd be seen, asked what your problem was. Basic details are collected. If somebody can deal with it then and there, you will do. But if it's more complicated, they'd pass you on to somebody like me who's got a bit more experience and a bit more specialist. So what sort of waiting like list that. is there, Helen? Well, there isn't, there, isn't, there isn't a waiting list as such, but on any morning in any bureau, you would probably get 15 or 17 people sitting waiting for help in any sort of thing. You can't even begin to imagine the number of sort of topics that you can come up with. If you go to the website um, and you look at the list of topics, Along the, along the blue line, it starts off with benefits, work, housing, disability, relationships, immigration, health. And you can click on any of those things and get the basic information. Or if you're coming into us, we work out what your problem is. Because quite often people will come in and I've got a little problem. And as they get more confident, they tell you what the real problem is. And the real problem might be much more serious and need more help. But they need to be confident that we are not going to judge them and be critical and tell anybody what they're telling us. I understand the confidentiality and I think that that has to be the key message. Some people, I think, tend to get forgotten a little bit in this that aren't computer savvy and would still want that face to face connection so what is happening at the moment are the offices still closed at the moment the offices are closed at the moment but but all of us who are still working have been asked to compile lists of our previous clients who, who of our particularly our vulnerable clients and i have spent quite a lot of time in the last few weeks ringing back to clients i have seen throughout the last year and checking whether they've actually got their benefits, did whatever they came in for, did you get that problem finally solved? Do you need any further help? Is there anything we can do now? So we've been doing a lot of ringback calls to people um, unexpectedly, just out of the blue to make sure that they're coping. And the, I mean, I, I do a lot of specialist benefit work and I've discovered by doing this that somebody, oh, well, I didn't get my benefit. Well, what did you do about it? I didn't do anything. Right, well, I will ring up the benefits people and we'll, we'll get it moving and make sure that you do get your benefit because the benefits are terribly complicated. And if you don't get it first time, you do have an opportunity to have it looked at again. And then if you don't get it the second time, you can go to appeal. But it's so intimidating, most people don't bother. So they need somebody like me to be pushing them into doing it. And I'm really very good at winning appeals. 
Um, because I've done, I've done well, it's because I've done so many. We all know the <laughs> yeah. strength of you as a woman. I think you're a very, very valuable person to have on side. And I know that moving forward, anybody who had any difficulties would really embrace that. I've, I've talked to some pretty kind of amazing people through this COVID series, and I've also heard some funnier stories. It is confidential, so we're not going to mention any names or people or anything like that. But what's the strangest thing that's ever happened to you as a volunteer with the CA? It's the unexpected that people tell you. And I can, I just, I mean, three or four things come to mind. They're not, the first two are not particularly funny. But when I was actually being trained myself, I was, I was watching an advisor with a, with a client when you're training, you do what the advisor does. So if the advisor goes out of the room, you follow them and this sort of thing. And I, it was a debt problem. And these people had huge, huge debts. The advisor said, I've just got to go out and get something. Don't, you stay there, Helen, because I'm only going to be a minute. And in that minute, the client turned to me and said, do you know, he said, we just bought a, a cockatoo in a very large cage. It was £1,500. We bought it last Saturday because we liked it. Would that be an asset? <laughs> and, and I thought this guy's <laughs> sitting there with forty thousand pounds worth of debt, and you know it's 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 what people do. I, I had another debt case where a very elegant, smart, middle-class man came, and this was in the crash in two thousand and eight, and said, "You know, I, I, I really am worried because we're paying the mortgage, but I think in four months' time we're not going to pay the mortgage. I don't know what we're going to do." I need some help. I need some advice about debt. We're not in debt yet. So I went through all the procedure. And then he looked at his watch and he said, oh, I must go. I've got to feed the horses. And I said, you've got horses? And he, how many? And he said, three, one for each daughter. And I said, well, how do you keep them? Oh, they're all in livery. Well, what does that cost? £18,000. I said, you're worried about your mortgage. He said, but I can't get rid of the horses. What would the what would their children's oh, friends God. think? You know, yeah. People's priorities are very odd. But I've got a couple that have always made me laugh. I did a, a complete divorce of somebody quite a long time ago now. And she's a, a client who we see fairly often and has a certain amount of learning problems. And she needed her divorce and she came in. And it was just my turn and I got her. And I'm, I'm talking about the husband and why does she want the divorce? And I said, well, well, what's the problem? What is it? What's causing this? She said, she says, do you know, she says, he just sits there and picks his nose all the time. <laughs> so I said, I think we'll put that, I think we'll put that down as unreasonable behaviour. I think that's grounds for divorce. <laughs> I do as well. But, but the one that made me laugh and, and the one that I, I really let myself down because we are supposed to sit there and be po-faced and non-judgmental. And I had a client and I was filling in a disability form and he was, he was actually, I suppose, somewhere between 45 and 50. Not very prepossessing, but he had a twinkle in his eye. And I was going through the form and there's a question about what do you miss? You know, what, does, what problems your disability causes you and what do you miss doing that you really would like to do? And he said to me, do you know, he said, I'd love to be doing my second job again. I had two jobs. He said, I just miss my second job. So I said, and what was that? And he said, I was a gigolo. <laughs> and there was a dead, <laughs> there was dead silence. And I, 
I never, I never let my face change. And I said, I said to him, and, and how were you paid? He said, in cash. So I said, did you, did you declare that to the tax office? And he said, no, of course not. What do you think? So I said, and are you still able to do it? He said, what, with my bad back? <laughs> And he then, he then proceeded to talk about the services they offered to his various clients, oh. um, you know, which which were uh, could could vary, could vary from just taking somebody to a, a a club, or it could be t- going back home with them and spending the night, you know. And I I was just, by that time I was in absolute hysterics, um, <laughs> and I should have been. There's feeling... a podcast in itself, Helen. I'm sure there is. Yeah, oh. I'm sure there Helen, is. Helen, I must bring this to a close <laughs> you know, because it... you need to go on with your Sunday. Could we just go back very briefly, just so that people know where they can contact the card trust is through your email is it on the parish news is that correct my email and my home phone number and my address is on the parish news and i think practically everybody in the village knows that i live in the street just down from the shop our listeners in oregon of which we have many for for various reasons (laughs) they might not know that helen but that's really good to reiterate that now for the ca and anything to do with COVID and any sense of need on a wider perspective, how do they contact them? Because you're CA Mendip, aren't you? Yes. See, it's Citizens Advice Mendip, C-A-M. So it's, um, you can either do, look at the website, just put in Citizens Advice Mendip or ad.org.uk. You can either email on their website. You can ring their advice line. Uh, which is 03-444-889-623. And the other thing is you can do a web chat with them. The other thing I need to say is that every piece of information that comes out from the government will be on our website the following day. So within 24 hours, any government legislation is on the Citizens Advice website the following day within 24 hours. So every piece of information is up to date. Um, and we, uh, we really have to give accurate information. We can't afford to give misinformation. Helen, so it's, you would so never, any, ever any in topic. a million years yeah. give misinformation. I'm going to let you go, Helen. But can I just really thank you? Because I know I phoned you out of the blue. and But thank you on behalf of Draycott, Doris. And thank you for all the support you give to the village. We all really, really appreciate it. Hopefully you and I will be able to get together for a cuppa soon. Oh, well, we will, Tiggy. I mean, we've done it before, haven't we? We need to get together again. Cheers. You are one busy woman, Helen. Thank you so much for your contribution today. Thank you also to Rob Elliott, our Draycott Diaries series editor, and my brother Hugh Trethown for arranging the music. Please keep listening to our series now available on all platforms and Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, The World. You might also like to know that next month I'll be talking to Will Ewins, who is the brand new shiny headmaster of Draycott and Shippen First School. So I hope you'll enjoy that. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 